News Talk 1110-993 WBT. Hour number two. Pete Callender here going over the president's address last night, which was just a... I mean, it wasn't like a fiery wreck of a speech. Uh, you know, like the Biden-Stag fire speech he delivered. And he wasn't as... Uh, mm, let's call it truth-challenged. Right? Like, he didn't say that his son died in a combat zone again. He didn't do that. Uh, I mean, yes, he, he mangled some words and couldn't read the teleprompter very well. But other than that, it's, it was just a rehash of the speeches that he's been giving for the last year. And basically all Democrats have been giving for, uh, for the last year. They're trying, to, they're trying to stick this landing with the J6 stuff. And, and it really is a testament to how poorly the J6 committee performed for them in that they don't have anything that lands, right? They don't have anything out of the J6 hearings to convince voters that this is actually a threat that they need to worry about. Mary Catherine Hamm, uh, pundit on uh, CNN, I think, I don't know if she's on CNN anymore. Let me see. Yeah, okay. Host of the Getting Hammered podcast. <clears throat> and uh, she said, uh, silence is complicity in political violence, all of which we must condemn. Yet unmentioned, an assassination attempt on a Supreme Court judge. Yeah, it was one of, it was one of the many omissions that Biden made last night in his demand that we all unify in condemning political violence, which I have, by the way, I was long to that. Uh, I was, I was, uh, you know, a member of that party a long time ago. I was hanging out in that camp for a long time, condemning the political violence, and silence supposedly is complicity. And if you're trying to unify everybody around a message of "Hey, let's all reject this," then that means you have to reject it all. But when the only example you can conjure up is the same example you've been using to fundraise off of and to attack Republicans with, you lack credibility. People can see right through it. This is the reason the J6 committee doesn't have credibility, because it got stacked with you know, anti-Trump partisans. There was no adversarial format to try to tease out different ideas or to challenge narratives. It was a show trial. People saw it for that, and it produced nothing of value for Democrats to actually use. And kind of, you know, part of me sort of feels uh, bad for them that they must have been waiting for and hoping for there to be something out of the J6 hearings that, they, that was going to help them, and nothing came. Now, maybe they're now waiting on the walls to finally close in I mean, the walls have been closing in for a very, very long time on Donald Trump, right? It's a huge room. I mean, the room has got to be the size of like half the country at this point. Or maybe the walls are just closing very, very, very slowly. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're moving so slowly as they close in, I just can't see them closing in like that. Sort of like the dog does. Uh, the dog is the one that hears the dog whistle, right? So I don't ever hear these dog whistles, but all the leftists totally hear the dog whistles for, you know, that racists are blowing. I'm not sure. He said, yes, he knows people are concerned about other issues. He is aware of this. Um, But this is more important, people. This is about our democracy. I know there's a lot at stake in these midterm elections. Yeah. 
from our economy, uh-huh. the safety of our streets, yeah. our personal freedoms, the future of health care, Social Security, Medicare. It's all important. So that might be like the only time I've heard a Democrat reference inflation or the economy, um, crime, right? These are the, the these are the top issues. But I mean, he doesn't actually address them. I mean, he mentioned them, but he does he doesn't do anything to address them. He just simply says, "I know there are all these other things that Americans believe are way more important." By the way, but you need to reprioritize. This is what he's essentially arguing. You need to reprioritize. What is affecting you most? Because that's not really affecting you most. What's affecting you most is what I am telling you is affecting you most, which is coincidentally uh, going to empower me. If you if you listen to what I say, I will become stronger. I will get more political juice, and uh, I will get more benefit if you believe what I am telling you is the biggest threat to you. No conflict there. But we'll have our differences. We'll have our difference of opinion. And that's what it's supposed to be. But there's something else at stake. Democracy itself. No. I'm not the only one who sees it. Recent polls have shown that overwhelming majority of Americans believe our democracy is at risk, that our democracy is under threat. By the way, remember this polling I told you about, what, last week? That more people think the Democratic Party is a threat to democracy than the Republican Party. Right. That's what the polling showed last week, that despite the last, what, two years of this bleating on about our democracy, that people actually believe more people believe the Democratic Party is the threat versus the Republican Party. But he he, he skips that part, too, for some reason. I don't know why. It's weird. They, too, see that democracy is on the ballot this year and they're deeply concerned about it. So today, I appeal to all Americans, regardless of party, to meet this moment of national and generational importance. We must vote, knowing what's at stake and not just the policy of the moment, but institutions that have held us together as we sought a more perfect union are also at stake. Hmm. Uh, So tearing down norms in society has long-term ramifications that we may not comprehend. It's almost like... The argument he's making there that these institutions, would that be like breaking through the boundaries of of what acceptable practice has been to, to push the envelope in order to achieve short-term victories without, you know, thinking about the long-term implications? Would that be like canceling people's student loans? Moratoriums on evictions? Things that you actually are not empowered to do under the U.S. Constitution, but you do them anyway. Stuff like that, you mean? Norm-shattering efforts like that? See, because democracy is on the ballot, he says, and so that means we have to remember the fundamental values and the beliefs that unite us all as Americans. What are they? What are they? Well, I think first, okay. we believe the vote in America is sacred. To be honored, not denied. Respected, not dismissed. All right, wait a minute. Hang on a second. All right, just to reiterate, if this is in fact true and you really do believe that the vote is sacred, then why do you allow it to be? No, I don't want to say that word. Let me. Why do you allow it to be taken advantage of? Right? Why do you allow 
so many loopholes that it undermines the integrity of the system. Why do you allow people who are not allowed to vote, vote? Why do you allow, and, and they will say, by the way, I know, they'll deny that that's actually what they do, but it is. This is what you do. When you, every single rule when it comes to voting has a trade-off. It suppresses. Every rule suppresses somebody in some way. Every rule, right? If I am a ballot harvester and you put rules in place to prevent ballot harvesting, that's suppressing my ability to harvest ballots, right? North Carolina bans ballot harvesting. California just permitted it, which is nuts. Every rule you put in place is going to prevent, for example, you have to be 18 years or older to vote. That suppresses everybody under the age of 18 from voting, does it not? Of course it does. And so this idea that any single rule that is proposed by Republicans is automatically suppressive and so therefore should be rejected is an asinine argument. It's illogical. It's condescending. It's insulting. You're insulting the intelligence of the people receiving your, your message. But that works a lot of times in politics. I'm not naive. Not naive. By the way, the guy that attacked Paul Pelosi, the pappy, the pap, the pape, whatever, uh, supposedly he had a list of other targets. Can we get that list? I'm curious. I'm curious. Are there any other elected officials on that list? I mean, just for the sake of security purposes, no? Wouldn't you want... I mean, yes, also, there would be some advantage in seeing the list, and if there's a list of different political affiliations on the list, then maybe that might tamp down some of the political rhetoric, violence-inspired stuff, no? What do you think? Just spitballing here. I mean, I'm not a law enforcement expert, nor am I an expert on stochastic terrorism, as they're now trying to make that happen. Like, fetch. Um, Stan says, Pete, I did not know you did not bring your A-game every day. Just so you know, I can't tell. So, great job. Thank you, Stan. I appreciate it. I am a professional. So, even, even my A-game... It sounds like an, or even my B game sounds like an A game. Uh, Matthew says, Pete, I did not watch the president's speech last night, but I'm glad you did so that I don't have to sterilize my ears and eyes. Uh, But here is a question. In the president's admonition of those who support election deniers, did he call out the Democratic Party political organizations that spent millions of dollars in ads supporting MAGA Republicans in the hopes that they would be easier to beat in an election? No, he did not. No mention at all of all the Democrats who spent money to get these threats to democracy closer to power. This is one of the reasons why the messaging is complete crap. Because if you really did believe that they were a threat to our democracy, why on earth would you help them get closer to carrying out their plans? It doesn't make any sense. If you assume that Democrats are telling the truth. So if you don't understand the results, you reexamine your assumptions. And the assumption here was that the Democrats were telling the truth in their fears about the democracy being at risk. And if you reassess that assumption, it turns out, oh, the more likely explanation is they don't believe their own crap. They don't believe it. 
And so that's what they're just saying. Now, there are some people who hear this messaging and they do believe it. But the people who are advancing this narrative don't really believe it because they're paying to get people that are the threats closer to power. Uh, Matthew says, it seems to me to be a pretty egregious act if you're against these election deniers, or are we just supposed to ignore that or chalk it up to political tactics in order to win the campaign? If the Democrat wanted, or if the president rather, wanted credibility on this issue, he would start by calling out his own side first. But of course he won't. Great show as always. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. Um, Right, this was, uh, you know, calling out your own side. And we we saw an example of this um, in the call, and I don't mean to beat up on Mike Dace. I like Mike fine. He's a nice guy. We uh, we go way back. Um, I used to have him on my show. But he called in the other day, and he said, oh, you know, I'm guilty of doing this thing. And, you know, essentially what it sounded like was this both-sides-ism kind of a deal. But he said we got to be willing to call out people on our our own sides. And when he meant, and so I asked, like, who? And then I kind of got out of him, you know, Proud Boys. I said, yeah, I have no problem doing that. I'm not a fan of the Proud Boys. They engage in violence on the streets and stuff. No, I don't I don't approve of that. If they're trying to incite violence, no, I don't approve of that. Now, how about Antifa? Well, I don't know if that's analogous because that's a movement, not really an organization. Like, oh, And all of a sudden, you hear it happen in real time where all of a sudden now there are all these hems and haws, all these caveats, all these excuses and apologies from, you know, this initial assertion that we're supposed to call out people on our own side, too. But as soon as I ask you to call out someone on your side, oh, ah, that's not really the same, Pete. When it absolutely is. Uh, Let me see here. This is Joseph. He says, Biden was recounting the Pelosi incident in in January 6th, but the same harrowing tale could have been made about an actual sitting president in the spring of 2020 when a mob attacked the White House. I don't care about January 6th, and I'm tired of these lying leftists pretending that they do too. They normalized political violence, but now they're apoplectic to think that it's coming, uh, that it's co- going to come back and bite them. Too bad. Right. Look, they're, they, they're using J6 in order to advance a narrative to try to wrestle back this idea that they're anti-law enforcement. Right. We, we all see it for what it is. But we all also saw that they were anti-law enforcement. This was the crowd of defund the police. They gave in to the the worst uh, uh, sensibilities, if you will, of the most radical part of their base. They went right down that path. There are no guardrails for Democrats on this. And it, it's still evident in their uh, in their endorsement list. It's still evident in uh, the organizations that uh, fund their campaigns. So, you know, every, we all see what they have been about. But what is also amazing, and I've had to point this out several times over the last uh, probably three or four days, probably since uh, the Pelosi attack, I've had to point this out a couple times now to different leftists on social media, on my Twitter feed, at Pete Callender. Come on, follow me. Water's fine. Um, the, the lefties, it's like they don't even know that there was a riot at the inauguration for Trump. It's like they don't know that there were riots all around the White House where cops got injured and they tried to break down the gates and they set the church on fire and all that. That the, that the people inside the White House had to be taken to a secure location because they thought they were about to get stormed. So the thing that, the thing that I'm supposed to condemn, Democrats demand that I condemn, which I did, by the way, the day it happened, the things that I'm supposed to condemn when I do, there's no reciprocity 
for for the thing that is darn near identical. They just picked a different target because the target was the Republican. When the leftists threatened to to raid the White House and set fires all around the White House, tried to break down the gates, injured the cops, set the church on fire, and then Trump went out with the Bible and all that, and then, the, and then that outrage, oh, oh he's, he's just inciting more violence. It's Trump's fault. See, he was wearing a miniskirt that was a little too high. Ugh, never mind. All right, never mind. Forget I said that, if you can. Sorry, I apologize. But we're supposed to just ignore all of the violence because, remember, when a scandal is about a Republican, the story is the scandal. When a scandal is about a Democrat, the story is the Republican reaction to that scandal. And that's what the riot around the White House was. In 2020, under the guise of Black Lives Matter, people surrounded the White House and attempted to, dare I call it, a coup, right? Attempted to, uh, to overthrow the executive branch. And what would they have done had they gained entrance to the White House? I asked the same question, by the way, of the J6 rioters. People who said, oh, well, you know, so they weren't they weren't all there to do you know, harm or whatever. I'm like, OK, so the people running through the halls of the, uh, the Capitol, what do you think if they what do you think they would have done had they actually encountered Nancy Pelosi? What would they have done if they had actually encountered Mike Pence? What do you think would have happened? Nothing. I, I don't know if I agree with you there. There were some people there that were intent on doing harm. Just like I think that had the, uh, the protesters outside the White House gained entry to the White House, I suspect they would have been intent on doing harm as well. It's, it's bad when both sides do it. That's the message that Joe Biden could have delivered last night, tried to deliver last night, but he couldn't quite bring himself to condemn his own crowd. not heard this uh thank you john for sending along this uh, carolina journal article the carolina journal has learned that on october 18th a shooting took place at the residence of gop congressional candidate pat harrigan who was running against democrat state senator jeff jackson for north carolina's 14th congressional district carolina journal spoke with harrigan campaign manager brandon craft yeah brandon craft who said that somebody shot into the Hickory residence and that the investigation has been ongoing since that time. Harrigan owns the home, which is currently occupied by his parents. Kraft said that Harrigan's children were in the home when the incident occurred and the shot entered only a few feet from where the children were sleeping. And then they've got a picture here of the bullet hole. Hickory police responded to the incident and noted the crime was perpetrated with a firearm. That's some... uh that's some good police work there. Uh, Kristen Hart, a spokeswoman for HPD, told Carolina Journal the department does not have any arrests or updates related to the incident as of the publication date. Nobody was injured. Uh, they did find evidence of a bullet casing, which is being looked into. So, um, State Senator Jeff Jackson, I think uh, you have some uh, questions uh, to answer regarding your rhetoric that has inspired... This attack. Right? I got your mailers. 
I got your mailers. Yeah, you demonized Harrigan because he was uh, because he started a company, a firearms company, and you put a picture of him with his gun. You put a picture on your mailer. You uh, insinuated that he's responsible for uh, mass shootings and stuff. So uh, I expect media to go hammer away at Jeff Jackson and to get him to apologize for his rhetoric that inspired that that uh, shot being fired at the house. That's how this works, right? I'm just trying to play by the rules here, people. You know me. I'm all about following the rules. <laughs> Democracy is on the ballot. So said Joe Biden in his speech last night, which was basically just a reheated rehash of the Biden stag fire speech he gave a couple weeks back. He says, we have to remember the fundamental values and beliefs that unite us. I'm going to re-rack this clip again. Here we go. What are they? What are they? Tell me. Well, I think first, yeah. we believe the vote in America is sacred. Sacred. To be honored, not denied. Respected, not dismissed. Counted, not ignored. Not ignored. A vote is not a partisan tool to be counted when it helps your candidates and tossed aside when it doesn't. See, again, this might have more credibility. It might resonate better if you guys didn't try to toss out votes that didn't go your way. Right? It would. You would have more credibility on this if you were credible. (laughs) If, If people believed you because you had a track record of, you know, calling balls and strikes accurately. Like, for example, uh, Sherry Beasley running for U.S. Senate here in North Carolina. She's the Democrat. She was the chief justice of the state Supreme Court. And in her last race statewide, she lost to Paul Newby, the Republican, who is now the chief justice. And that race was so close that you had the lawyers come in to try to count all the votes, shall we say. But they didn't want to. Sherry Beasley didn't want to count all the votes. She wanted to count certain votes, and she wanted to ignore other votes, because that's what political campaigns do. They want certain votes to count when they think that it's going to be advantageous to them, and they want other votes not to count because they think they won't be advantageous to them. That's why you need clear rules. But Sherry Beasley's team, led by Mark Elias, Democrat super lawyer and middleman for the Steele dossier hoax, Hillary Clinton's campaign lawyer, um, they argued that, hey, you know what? Those uh, those mail-in ballots, they don't have any dates on them. But obviously they got here the day after the election, so obviously they were mailed before Election Day. So we should count them. Well, the rule says you got to have a postmark on it. Yeah, but we knew they totally got mailed beforehand because they wouldn't have arrived here today. Right, but the law says you got to have a postmark on it, so this way we know that it actually was sent the day, at least the day before or day of the election. See, they, they tried to rewrite the rules. They tried to not even rewrite them. They tried to ignore them. They lost, and then Sherry Beasley lost her race. That's what Democrats tried to do. So spare me the lectures about election integrity and believing that all votes are sacrosanct, because they're not. Because... While you could say, well, we were trying to count those votes, Pete, that's how sacrosanct we believe the vote is. Yeah, well, I don't even know who the votes were for. It doesn't matter. Whatever, 
whoever earned a vote in those ballots that got rejected because they did not comply with the law, they would have canceled someone else's vote. It doesn't matter to me whose vote it canceled. What matters is it canceled somebody else's vote. Is their vote sacrosanct? The canceled person's vote. Why do you not care about them? Why is it always about the person who sends the ballot late, who can't play by the rules, who needs all these dispensations, all these accommodations, you have to do all of these things, and then they vote and it cancels out somebody else's vote. Even though the rules say that they didn't follow the rules and so their vote shouldn't count, but you would try to make it count anyway, so what about the person who had their vote canceled? They never take into account that's the forgotten man argument. All right. A couple more sound bites from Biden's speech last night, the Biden Stag Fire speech, part two. All the demagoguery, none of the red backlights. He says, We are called to defend democracy now. Now. I mean, that's what he said. That's how he said it, too. But America is not a zero sum society where for you to succeed, someone else has to fail. Wait, what? Hang on. Whoa, wait a minute. How many are how many Democrats are aware of that? Did you guys know that? I mean, I knew that. But you guys are always talking about the fair share, paying the fair share and all of that. Like that all you talk is zero sum game. All you everything about your politics and your economics, it's all zero sum game. What is this? The, you know what I, I, I'm watching the speech, I'm thinking, this is Biden's attempt to pull an Obama 08. Barack Obama was a lefty senator. He was a lefty before he ever became president, right? And even on the campaign trail in the primary, he was running as a lefty. He then um, has to reposition, tack towards the center for the general election, right? And this happens, by the way, for everybody, right? You run you run sort of to the, to the margins because you, you got to win your primary. You got to appeal to the base. And then you got to tack back towards the center to get more of the, the mushy middle. Well, Obama did this very, very well. In the final days of the 08 campaign, his rallies had shifted. And he was talking about, you know, no red states, no blue states, only the United States. He was giving a very uplifting, unifying message of what America was about and what it could be. Of course, he didn't govern like that, but that's that was the message that he was delivering. That's what this sounded like to me. Obama's or uh, uh, Biden's trying to be Obama here. But he just can't, because there's only one Obama, guys. I promise America is big enough. It's big enough for everyone to succeed. Every generation opening the door of opportunity just a little bit wider. Every generation, including those who have been excluded before. We believe we should leave no one behind, because each one of us is a child of God. Whoa! And every person... Every person is sacred. Well, all right, all right, hang on. Except the persons that have not exited the birth canal, of course. Right. They're right. I don't know. I think he may anger some people on the left. He mentioned God. That's- if that's true, then every person's rights must be sacred as well. Individual dignity, individual worth, individual determination. That's America. That's democracy. And that's what we have to defend. That's democracy. I don't think he knows what democracy is, guys. This actually makes the most amount of sense. This might... They may not know what democracy means. 
which is weird because they were chanting all over the place during all of the, the riots during the summer of love, you know, fiery but mostly peaceful. They were chanting about this is what democracy looks like. Show me what democracy looks like. They apparently don't know. Weird. I wish I wish I could say the assault on a democracy had ended that day, but I cannot. As I stand here today, there are candidates running for every level of office in America, for governor, Congress, Attorney General, Secretary of State, who won't commit, they will not commit to accepting the results of election that they're running in. Right. Well, hang on a second. That's not a disqualifying characteristic. Who knows what kind of shenanigans might pop up? I'm not going to go and say, I fully commit to accept whatever these results are. And then you go ahead and like change all of the rules or you guys pull some shenanigans and then it's obvious that you cheated. But, you know, Pete said he was going to accept these results. That's not a. No, we're going to see how it plays out. That's why you play the game, guys. That's disqualified. This makes everybody a threat. This is a path to chaos in America. It's unprecedented. It's unlawful. And it's un-American. No, it it actually is lawful. You can contest your election outcomes. See Sherry Beasley and um, and, and even Ray Cooper. I've said before, you can't love your country only when you win. Mm, Oh, that's a potent line of attack. You can't love your country only when you win. Democrats, did you hear that? Did you hear that? How about North Carolina Democrats? You can't love your state only when you win. How about that? Because you guys are always talking about how much you hate North Carolina with, with, since the Republicans took over. So here's, I, I guess this is the other side of it. You can hate it when you win and lose. Maybe that's the idea here. Is that, yeah, is that you can't hate it only when you win, but you can hate it when you win and lose, win or lose, right? If you just hate it all the time, I guess that's acceptable then, right? I guess so. This is no ordinary year. Oh, so I ask you to think long and hard okay. about the moment we're in. Yeah. In a typical year, mm-hmm. we're often not faced with questions of whether the vote we cast will preserve democracy or put us at risk. But this year we are. This year, I hope you'll make the future of our democracy an important part of your decision to vote and how you vote. I hope you'll ask a simple question of each candidate you might vote for. Will that person accept the legitimate will of the American people, of the people voting in his district or her district? Will that person accept the outcome of the election, win or lose? The answer to that question is vital. And in my opinion, it should be decisive. There you go. So he wants everybody to commit right out of the gate before any of the votes are count or any kind of shenanigans might occur. Right? Any kind of ballot stuffing, any kind of election fraud, anything like that. And these things do happen. See North Carolina's 9th Congressional District, right? These things do happen. So you want everybody to commit right up front that whatever the results are, you're going to totally abide by it, even if there's evidence of fraud? No, he's not saying that. He's just saying vote Democrat. Because, as I have said repeatedly, when Democrats say our democracy, they mean the Democratic Party. That's what they mean. That's what they've always meant. They're manipulators of the language. The things that they say mean other things. The corruption of the language in order to confuse people is postmodernism. There's a reason for it. 
It's to create the chaos so nobody knows what is real and what is not. And I'm not sure everybody realizes uh, what they're doing when they do it. But I do. All right. I do want to get to there. I have some other topics. Let me see here. I got to... Well, Jimmy, if you want to stay on the line, I will get to your call after the news. Otherwise, uh, probably move on.